G'day punters, welcome back to The Mailbag. We are presenting the deep dive for the first time in three weeks. Pete Anthonis, Shane Curlio, Curls, we've had a little bit of a hiatus given the public holidays and then last week I think we both just forgot to talk about racing, yep. but we're back. And We must have lost last week, did we? I think we both did, <laughs> or at least I did, but back with the vengeance no, and we can spruik our results. No, no, we're, we're here to talk about the fair amount of racing that was over the weekend, most of it underwater. Uh, Brisbane obviously was copping rain consistently. The track wasn't a great deal better in some other parts of the country, but certainly Eagle Farm was the wettest place going around. Mm. Wasn't great. Um, we backed the winner, oh sorry, here we go. We backed the winner of the second, um, was our first bet at Eagle Farm for the day. Jamie Carr come back to scale and said, um, I had no idea where I was in run because I couldn't see anything. I just hoped I was in the right spot. Um, it, I mean, <laughs> how do you reckon the confidence yeah. levels was after that? It was just atrocious, wasn't it? I, I mean, it's always visually impressive that like even the race callers can actually get those races half right. You're just watching it on the TV. and I, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know the silks anyway, but... Just horrific. Um, I mean, yeah, it was hard to bet with yeah. any confidence. I was just going to um, ask, like in in hindsight, with benefit of hindsight, I know you you said going into the meet you're going to do pretty little form or very little form, and basically watch the day and adjust as it unfolded. With hindsight, mm. do you feel that was the right approach? Uh, yes, because. Um, yeah, because the horses that I wanted to be, I did the, I did a, the usual. Um, let's look at map pre-scratchings. It's not pre-scratching maps are difficult in the winter time, obviously, with the amount of scratchings that we're getting. But still, we want to do the the usual map data, which horse to want to be on on a fair track, um, and didn't pull the trigger on any of them. Um, so the late betting meant that I had to take away that mindset of I've marked this $4 on Wednesday. Yeah. Because I marked it $4 on a soft five uh, fair track, no pattern. So you got to take that sort of like raise the prices out of your head and then adjust to what you think can win and then sort of adjust your price, our pricing models to suit. Um, and which is more about minusing and bonusing horses based on map and where you think they're going to be but they're also then you get that those races where everybody wanted to be at the same spot mm. and you know created a bit of turmoil so you sort of have to take into account jockeys in that situation where i think j-mac will get his horse where he wants it to be <laughs> but but i'm not sure that um you know zach spain can for it for example and just going through the, the results and looking at the punting form data and the wides and so forth, I think the track overall played reasonably fairly given it was a heavy eight. That's certainly what um, my figures are suggesting. Rails and run was a disadvantage. Three wide with covers probably the, the spot to be. But given the state of the track and the conditions, that's played pretty well. Yeah, I thought it did. And, and I thought that as the day gone on, went on, that the fresher grounds like seem to be more popular for the jocks to steer toward as well, yeah. um, which is perfectly fine wet weather race riding, I think. Um, 
I, I can't remember the race exactly, but I, I remember Nash went to the outside fence uh, middle of the day, and I thought, oh, what's he doing here? He's having a bit of a having a bit of a gander for later, <laughs> is he on Special K? Um, who effectively could not tack on, um, like lost ground from the 800 to the 400. But that's another story. Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously there was, um, yeah, I thought the track played very well um, considering. Thought it was a little bit difficult to make ground, sort of pull and make out and make ground wider early, but yeah, no, I thought overall it was just tempo related. I mean, you have a look at the the win of Dark Destroyer in the Rough Habit Plate. Um, Sam Weatherly there just plotted a path from the thousand, which was basically just keep yanking on the left left rein and rounding them up, um, and just keep going. Um, as opposed to you know someone like uh, Written Beauty who was sort of in behind, never pulled out, and then ducked back inside and and got a run through. So, to me, the track played fair. Then we saw Marzu get the perfect run as Dickens ugly pacified head out and win um, and acquitted coming off a nice tempo uh, of a, well off a nice tempo and then just able to let down nicely you know down the middle so overall tracks played fair and you can't blame the track if you lost yeah um, now you did mention Marzu winning the Doombin 10,000 at Eagle Farm so the Eagle Farm 10,000 look the, the overall figure it's still the best on the card, so I guess that has to be taken into account. But Marzu's had plenty of these heavy track runs over the last couple of months. And so far, its best figure is still the figure it produced first up at Rose Hill over 1,100 metres. So it's been consistent. On the best, on the firmest surface that it's ran on. Yeah. Being a soft yeah. six that day. Yeah. So... I'm looking at these numbers, and this horse is currently second favourite for the Everest, and not to... We don't get any sling from from the tab or from Sky for saying Everest. I mean, I think if we both got the opportunity to be given extra payment for every time we said Everest, we'd both take it. But I think my point is is that Mazu at the moment, on his exposed figures, should not be second favourite for the Everest. The hard part is finding a horse that should be, and mm. especially given the fact that it's almost certainly going to be a wet track in Sydney... You could bet on it being yeah. a wet track in that time of year. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I've tried to take away my um, cognitive bias here, Peter, because I did say that I was going to lay the horse sub 350 and it traded sub 350 most of the day until the last few 30-odd seconds when like, you could have taken 390. Yeah. But I did preface, I will preface that by saying that I did tweet during the day that it is now the perfect setup for my lay of the day because the track deteriorated, got in that heavy range. He was always going to get the perfect running transit. He was an absolutely, you, you, you could have been on it in the last 30 seconds at 380. Yeah. No doubt, not 390, whatever price it was. Absolutely, you could have been on it. Um, one of the pitfalls of, of, you know, of betting, you know, five minutes before the jump is that, you know that last bit of action because your your betting habit your betting has completely changed there. Um, I ended up having something on on Trevier on Trevier sorry on Trevier, who unfortunately caught the back of that fucking pretender Kementari, <laughs> who I had something on as well, who completely lost his spot in run and got, and just like was going nowhere. 
Um, on trivia, could not find a back to follow into the race when it needed to. If it did, it wins. No question. Okay. Uh, no question at all. Um, I thought the run of the second horse was good. I sort of thought that Marzu had a substantial margin on it on rain-affected ground. Yep. Uh, but we, you know, Pulele, you know, was almost run it down. So anyway, um, hard to knock the win looking at the figure. It's the biggest figure returned on the race in the last five years. Yeah, which I'm it's surprised a, by. I'm shocked. So I'm going to put a little asterisk next to that performance and I'm still going to be jury out because, like, you touched on earlier, we're not paid by the tab to mention the Everest, but I'm happy to sell it anyone because I would happily run the narrative um, for the slot holder that this horse has won the 10,000 with a better figure than Red Zell produced when it won the 10,000, who yep. went on to win the Everest. So, you know, Munzee should be running that narrative right now at everyone saying that uh, you should back this horse at the tab to win the next two Everest. Uh, in venue mode, bonus, 10% <laughs> plus 15% in venue mode to back the Mazu to win the next two Everest. I mean... I would want the bonus, I'll put it that way. Uh, look, I'll, this is the way that I'll, I'll phrase it. Is Marzu the best 1,200-metre horse in the country if you exclude Nature Strip, if you exclude Eduardo, which, you know, I'm not even sure he's a 1,200-metre horse necessarily. So we're talking about, like, the best of the B-graders because as far as I'm concerned, yeah. we've got one A-grade sprinter, and that's Nature Strip. Everything else is B. And yeah. overall... Marzu's performance was inferior to two other sprinters around the country on Saturday, one being Elite Street, who should have won the Winterbottom Stakes. He, he bled during the race. He basically was there in the right spot and went to win and then just bled. Um, and then he's come back with a monster figure there in the Roma Cup on Saturday, a career PB. And Triple Missile, who was one of the emergencies for the Winterbottom Stakes last year, has come over to Victoria and posted just shy of a PB at Flemington. Now, I guess the thing was, or my earlier point, the Everest is run at Randwick. It's got its own little idiosyncrasies and it's probably going to be wet. But if that race was run on a neutral track, say it was run at, I don't know, in Chartin, there's no way I'd have Marzu second favourite against some of these other sprinters. But that's hypothetical. Mm. Well, what it says to me, Pistol, is that we will be sourcing a horse from overseas to buy to run in the Everest. Where are our sprinters? We are a nation built on breeding elite sprinters. Surely the Mart Eustace, we want to target all the, the classics Surely that hasn't happened so quickly that we've suddenly just evaporated and lost every sprinter in the country. Mm. Something's gone wrong. Maybe we were just never that good. Maybe we just thought we were good. I don't know. Maybe we're just old cynical pricks like those two blokes on the Muppets that sit in the grand, <laughs> that sit in the theatre and just bag the shit out and complain about everything. Yeah. Maybe that's us. I don't know. But like we... we to put it into some kind of context and what, what when I say where are our sprinters, 
um, we, we, we've been fortunate enough in recent times to have a couple of horses that take that make us go to the races. Yeah. Where are they? They're not that we don't have one right now. No, um, we don't. Like you said, we had Nature Strip, but you know, people people weren't going to the Galaxy or the Shorts meeting to watch Nature Strip, and so don't pretend that they go to the Everest to watch him either. No, no, they went to see Chautauqua. Like Chautauqua had something about him. He had X Factor. He had the ability mm, to do yep. these, you know, ridiculous things late. Where, yeah, you know, there's still yep. the can he do it? Yes, that meme that still gets a run. Yeah, Flindell. I remember I went to a. I went to a, a birthday drink on a Sunday at a Sydney hotel a couple eighteen months or so ago, just before COVID, probably two years ago. And I was I wasn't as drunk as Flindell because I don't think that's possible. <laughs> but um, I made him recite that call a couple of times just for my own like humour. Um, it was a great moment. We both spilled beer down the front of our shirts together. It was every time he finished a pot, I'd yell, "Can he do it?" And when he's on his last mouthful. <laughs> but yeah, like sorry, I digressed. But um, those are the horses that grow the sport. Yep. And we really, uh, right now, in need of that next horse. We're hoping we can fill the void. Um, and I hope it's not Mazu because it'll be costly <laughs> for me if it is. The only reason Mazu is even a contender is because they gelded him at one point. Yeah. You know. Do you know, like, like in China, to stop the uh, population growth and to manage it, they made people like only have one kid. Maybe racing needs to start like gelding horses by force, like just to slow everything down a little bit. Just like you know, maybe pay the owners of the horse Can to you gel them. If racing had some sort of stallions could only have one offspring or one progeny a year. Imagine the value proposition in that. Less is more. You'd be paying like. Mate, it worked. For, it, look, Kemitari. Yeah. Had three foals or whatever yearlings go through the sale or whatever it was, and then back to the races. Gelded and then back to the races. Go and have your fun. Get it out of your system. <laughs> and then get back to work. So. Get back to work. I love it. Anyway, we've digressed. Yeah. Um, apologies. Uh, apart from... So, yeah, so what we've seen, what I've seen in Queensland anyway, because that's where the action is now for the carnival, because um, we've wrapped up Adelaide, which we'll touch on. Um, well, I know we haven't. We've got the Goodwood to come, haven't we? Um, but anyway... We've seen rain-affected and and or bias-pattern-affected tracks, which means, like, anything's possible in the next couple of weeks, form-wise. Yes. Anything. The, the form turnarounds are going, to be, are going to be there. I need to find them for the clients and be on them at big odds, um, particularly in the size produce and the JJ Atkins pistol, which yes, indeed. the two-year-old. Remember, remember last year I was, like, I was ranch hand for everything? Oh. Ranch hand. Oh, dear. And that mongrel thing that went on Saturday. Anyway. I'm rambling. Was it findable? Did you go back and review it and go, I could have, I could have found ranch hand today? Um, nah. I'd, like, I don't know. I, I, the whole race just gave me... Like the whole review just annoyed me on this race because RNT or RNT was a horse we'd been on, and he was three wide, no cover, punching the speed, and you know ran really well. And then I've just got like complete like the, this this Kiwi horse that brought the sort of state form, which I thought was superior, 
just thought J-Mac just rode it like a motorbike, um, punch it at the top of the straight. I don't know. It just really grayed me up this whole race. Yeah. Pays to forgive. As you said, though, the, does. The, the turnarounds are going to be potentially lucrative. And I remember mm. when I first started punting full-time, I used to love the the Queensland Carnival because of that reason. You could find things at odds if you enjoyed the form, if you went back and watched the last couple of starts and you thought, no, I don't think they're on the best part of the track or if they change states, something like that. There's always yep. these different little edges and different angles. You're not going to get it right mm. all the time, obviously. But No, we've seen, um, particularly in the last couple of years, there's probably been a little bit of... Um, we've seen some Kiwi horses come and run well first run in Queensland mm. where and they just measure up as a rule, basically. Now, I haven't seen that this year. Like We've seen them go to the sunny coast on the Sunday and not even compete. Um, but what I have noticed is some second up runs have been a lot better so that's another thing for whatever reason that um i'll monitor for form reversals of the kiwi second up um i think we see uh on on trevier is going to miss the kingsford smith group one and then go straight to the stradbroke which leaves a spot for sort of state okay which was a horse um that i thought ran really well first run in australia this prep um to follow up yeah so there's all these little form anomalies that could provide some great betting opportunities that will likely run second as you said on trivia that's the best performance that we've seen from that horse in five starts in australia and just fat splits from the four to two Mm. especially and and then the the 200 home so uh, it's in particularly good order i think that's the best way of describing that horse okay shall we have a look at Morfordville. As you said, we had the South Australian Derby, very fast tempo race. We, we previewed it last week, and that's the way that it looked on paper. You had these horses that didn't really have the best ability drawn wide that were going to be settling on speed. And if they got the tempo wrong, it was just going to cause a car crash. And in the end, that's basically what it looked like watching the race. Mm. Yeah, full credit to us um, for finding the first four. And losing on the race. I was going to say, did you happen to have a little Joe Exotic there, Pistol? No, I, I had a Quinella on Yaffet and Devonator Jack, and they ran second and third, so that that doesn't pay me anything. Um, so what we sort of discussed in the in the preview was about back and wide and, and not getting stuck behind these speed humps falling back on top of you that are going to be setting the speed, and that's what we got. I thought the ride on the winner was just like 11 out of 10. Yeah. Right. Obviously, there's timing is everything, and it's a game of inches, and he's like cut through, let let rip, put a space, and then was strong enough to the line to hold off your feet. Yaffet, who... um, I don't know. You were on it. Probably best let you give us your interpretation of of the race for it. Yeah, I think just given the the level of interference that was happening on the corner, as you said, Zara just managed to find like the perfect little negotiation through that corner. Whereas Yaffet and Detonator Jack were just flushed out incredibly wide. They both both lost momentum doing so, and then had to pick back up in the straight. They, they all, all three of them have gone super. Um, mm. 
the race was the race was won from by the right. Yeah. Um, you know, and then because you've got Yaffet and Allegron who were sort of like held up in a bit of traffic, running faster the last two hundred than the winner, but the, the the race was over by then. Yeah, it's fair to say. Uh, full credit. Um, although I think the bloodstock business has stolen the full credit saying, but um, which has annoyed me. Full credit to uh, Damo, the mailbag yardman, uh, who identified Jungle Magnate as the pick of the four that were in the market out of the yard and wanted to be on it. Um, he thought had made the most progress off its last art performance um, out of the ones that he'd seen and made it a full bet and made Yaffet a half bet. He's been very um, good with his descriptions of horses. I've really liked going through it because we've been doing the form of, you know, a fair bit for Adelaide over the car- carnival yeah. period. He's been very good at identifying horses that are ready to peak and then also horses that might have gone off a little bit. There was a couple that he mentioned on the weekend, especially that were relatively short in the market and they didn't perform. Mm. So he, he, he potted a couple. Yeah, his results actually probably are better than what they read in pure numbers. He's spent 30-odd units, got 40 back. So he's going at 33% pot for his first ever carnival. So, mm. you know, full credit absolutely and, to, to Damon. And re- result aside, now obviously the result is great for the subs, but if you're betting like we have been off the data, the thing that's I think is most valuable to me is that he actually puts a, subscription, a description of the parade. Like it's not just him tipping a number out of the yard. Yeah. He's giving you, you know, some good analysis on five runners um, that that he sees that can impact their performance. And that's, like, in itself, really valuable. I mean, there's a reason why the big syndicates send blokes to the yard to report back on every horse and then hold the Kestrel wind meter in the air to determine <laughs> the, 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 the wind strength and direction. And completely. And I think you're getting it from the mailbag for, like, thrippence. Yep, we've got the the Rob Scully, uh, the Rob the Rob Scurry School of Mounting Yard. Hmm. God, I made a hash of that, but uh, no, it's completely completely invaluable. And you know, once you start doing your form independently, just getting that little tick to adjust your units or your staking weight, uh, it's very yeah. very important. Like everything, has its uh, good days and bad days. Absolutely. Um, there was another runner on the card in the Adelaide galvanizing guineas. Yep. Listed race. Um, Elation went around, what, $1.15 or so. Did it win like a $1.15 chance? Well, it just had to do what he's been asked to do is the way I'd describe it is overall performance is a couple lengths inferior to what we saw last start. Um, so whether or not that was the extra 200 metres, very similar mm. tempo, uh, very similar final splits. They were probably just half a length inferior on both of those. But that horse obviously has ability going forward, but we've only seen it in slowly run races so oh. far. Pistol, I cannot wait to be against this horse. <laughs> What's the setup um, going to look like? So we've seen it in 12 horse fields. The last two starts, they both ended up being walking races. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the vulnerability for this horse? Um, 
the trainer. No, that's joking. Um, <laughs> that's joking. Well, look, if you'll have a look at it splits, right? Now, like, probably wins a Cox Plate after me saying this. Well, they were talking about Cox Plate last week. Of course they were. Um, like, even the six to the fourth figure is still slow. So it's just, it's hacked around until the 400 each time. Yeah. Has got a good turn of foot, clearly. Um, four and five lengths. Is that four or five lengths below all bench bar? Yeah. I think it is. Um, you know, two lengths, uh, around two to two and a half lengths for class four to the two, and then four, four to four and a half lengths, two to the furlong for class. So obviously can just, you know, um, jog to the six and then let let go, um, which most horses could. It's also been given the barrier draws so far in its career of one, one, and two. going to say, it hasn't gone around many horses. No. Um, now, I'm, I'm here being devil's advocate to say why, this, why, you'd, why you could potentially be against this horse. You know, like, it's beat Hop on Harry. It's out-sprinted Hop on Harry. Now, Hop on Harry, who has done, how many times has it broken benchmark overall? Twice? Once this prep before yesterday, before Saturday? Yeah. Hop on, Hop on Harry's been able to jog to the 400-meter pole and, and get home in negative two and a half for class as well. It's last furlong. And that's no knock on Hop it, on Harry. No, but like Hop on Harry's not going to the Cox Plate, is it? Well, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to yes. wait and see. Um, all I'm saying is is that the jury is 100% out as far as I'm concerned, and this horse has shown a nice turn of foot on in walking races. He would he would have shown it at that at track work, you know, yep. just doing eight up six or something, you know, six up four. Yeah, just give me a little squirt the last furlong, Baz. Um, so he's got to do it on race day as well. And, and give um, him a squirt, he did. You know, fucking... Sit on the back of the cleaner or something like that and see if you can reel off a negative 5.5. Because if you do, you're going to Royal Ascot and you're winning the Gold Cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or whatever race they race on over there. The Quipco Guinness something, you know. And, but he's bred yeah. to be a, he's, he's well-bred. He's a colt. He's got massive residual value and looks like a horse has got plenty of upside. He's only had three starts. I'd prefer to own him than be potting him as a punter. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he's like, you know, uh, full. I know that Mick doesn't have the luxury of a data team behind him, but he's a very astute trainer. And um, if he thinks it's a nice horse, it's a nice horse. And he'll do a nice little stud deal between now and his next preparation, and everyone will get paid, and he'll go to the races and try and win a Cox Plate and cop a 10 million bonus or something. So be retired by this time next year. Full credit. Full credit. Um, there was a couple of nice horses at Flemington. There was one in the was first. That's a lie. Let's just hang on a minute. Just steady on. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to get too I excited. I just want to click on the punning form data here before you start throwing around the word nice. Words like nice horses. <laughs> um, first winner was good, wasn't it? Uh, yes. And we did throw the question briefly to Jackson Oldham in our little chat group earlier and said, well, 
What are we making of this duel? Besides having a, a, a good name. And really, he said, well, given probably one out, one out of every 15 races down the straight to actually run at fast tempo, it's impossible to tell. Wasn't that interesting? Because um, we've seen historically that they sort of jump out of the gates and find their spot in a straight race and too scared to do anything because they might be going too quick. Um, and he's dual, just churning out and, and, you know, a lead time that's fast and still breaking benchmark for a strong overall performance. Um, although I will preface every, I'll use the word preface a lot lately. Um, <laughs> got to stop using it. I will say, Peter, punting form loves Flemington. Yes. For big numbers. We've got uh, four figures on this meeting that would have won any race in Australia. Yes. Contextualise that by saying, obviously, you know, distances and blah, blah, blah. The 1,400 metre winner championship ran a negative 10.3 over 1,400. Um you know, wins to do in 10,000. Yeah. We, I don't, I like, you know, so does Adela Moore winning the Leilani series. Phillies and Mares race. Enormous figures, enormous figures. He's actually gone pretty big that also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most, uh, a lot of races, a lot of those, obviously those, what we saw with those early figures, uh, early speed figures, actually ran along a bit at Flemington. Despite in a, in a, there being, I believe, unfavourable wind conditions and so forth. Oh, fuck me. Don't start me on the wind. <laughs> it's like these analysts on um, just need, like, words to fill you know they've got to say okay peter we're going to put you on tv today and you have to use one hundred and twenty-five thousand words um and we're going to pay you pro rata on words used yeah so we're going to pick up the win narrative i'll tell you what the win i'll tell you what it didn't so obviously point the pm was was blessed in run sitting three wide um no cover protected from the wind and was able to outstay them in a strong staying performance um in the jericho prelude which is known as the Andrew Ramsden Stakes, <laughs> which the winner gets a run in the Melbourne Cup. Yes, indeed. How do you think it will go in the Melbourne Cup, girls? Based on that figure, it'll run well. It's Top a, 10 chance. It's a good figure, but again, it's exacerbated by a completely mad tempo up front. Well, look, if, if Very Elegant was in that race and they went out negative 15, she would have been three wide outside the leader and got home in negative 15 on the day she would have done that and would have oh. ran a minus 30. Um, I don't know. Like, I'll tell you what it does. What it tells me is there's absolutely no excuses for the horses behind it. Yeah. Um, and... Full credit, maybe, to Alana Kelly for winning the race from the 1,000 to the 600. The leader, which went on punning forms data, 9.3 lengths fast to the 600 for the class, beaten 22.5 lengths. So no full credit there? 
No full credit to turn it up, Tommy. Who and didn't run last. Didn't run last. I was going to say still beat two runners home. Yes. The other, I assume the other two bled or broke down or something. I haven't checked the stewards' report. Um, it wasn't up. On... It... No shit, because yeah. it hasn't been up. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't um, published on Racing.com, so they had to publish it separately. Look, I thought that uh, all all bullshit aside, that we identified Point Nepean as a very strong stayer in the preview. We were both happy to be on it at the price. Um, and as it turns out, the best day of one. And I don't think you could possibly give any excuses for the others uh, other than they just weren't good enough on the day. And um, I, I have said it in jest, but I actually mean it. They will end up in the Jericho pistol. Well, there was support for warning, and I'm not sure why, because we did outline a few reasons given mm. second up and so forth. He's halved in price, run fourth, beaten 3.7 lengths. But, yeah, he's looking Jericho-bound. Well, they just passed their best, a lot of them, and they're five years old. Yep. I mean, there's, it's a young man's sport, Peter. You Indeed. Know, this, this, you know, no place for these old, old stayers anymore at five. <laughs> Difference, difference being that our five-year-old stays have had about 55 starts by this point of their career. So there's not a lot uh, other than completely what you see is what you get there is what I'm trying to get at. Like there's, they're well exposed, those horses behind it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I hope Alana Kelly keeps the ride in the Melbourne Cup because that would be great narrative and um, full credit to her. Yes, indeed. Now... The week ahead for yourself, Curls, forecast dependent, obviously, but Toowoomba yep. Tuesday off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, there's a. I said something a bit of made a bit of a dad joke yesterday. I thought it was hilarious. I said to my daughter, look, there's a blue cloud. Because <laughs> um, a little bit of blue sky peeked through yesterday. Uh, it rained last night. I'm just looking out the window now. It's sort of overcast. It looks stormy toward the west. Um It'll be really will be weather dependent, but they are racing here. They've called off Bow Desert tomorrow. Yep. Uh, um, Ipswich is Wednesday. Last time I checked, the Warrego Highway between Toowoomba and Brisbane was closed at Ipswich because of the river flowing across the freeway. Yep. Um, actually, no, it's already been changed to the poly track at the sunny coast. There you go. Okay. So that's a nightmare. Uh, and then Saturday, we have um, the Doombin Cup, Group 1 Racing from Doombin, which is in Brisbane, Peter, at Doombin, um, where we see Zaki lining up for the $600,000 paycheck that he will be receiving for turning up in the Doombin 10000 Hopefully, we just want to get some drawing weather, um, obviously. I don't know that we're going to get it, but it would be good to see a drier track. We've got the, we've got a number of good races anyway. For those that are, love the narrative and the nominations look, I would say disappointing. Yes. Uh, on the support races, they're light. Um, you know, we have a group two, something listed race here worth worth over a hundred grand, and there's like eight nominations of like B grade, C graders. Um, yeah, light, light, 
I don't know whether this is some of the southern trainers might be just avoid trying to avoid the super wet track here and waiting for Eagle Farm next week, maybe. Anyway, that's where I'm betting next, this week. Um, doesn't sound like a lot of fun, particularly when they've already transferred a meeting to the poly. Yeah, it, it looks uh, difficult. I'll put it that way. Well, the acceptances are out for the yeah. poly too, and I'm just yeah, they're terrible. More, terrible numbers. More rain forecasts later in the week as well, so hopefully it holds off or misses or mm. we'll wait and see. Yeah, indeed. That's why I found myself launching golf bets in AFL because yeah, I'm, I'm a professional, Peter, and I only bet on what I know. And just quickly <laughs> on that, how torturous was it watching Melbourne try and cover the 73 points last night? Well, it was. You seen my Instagram reel? It was I difficult. I, I was emotional, um, particularly because I took seventy two and a half, and then two <laughs> minutes later, the line moved to seventy one and a half. So that annoys me as a punter because, it's like, anyway. And then watching Melbourne play two quarters of football and win by seventy three points or seventy four points was just. I had to go and have a lie down. Especially when they had something like 16 more scoring shots. Um, yeah, they're doing enough and no one's dead. Like, it's just, yeah. Basically, they get beat if something goes wrong. Yeah, they would need horrendous like, luck. Yeah, they would need bad luck with injuries. And, you know, Brisbane, who I still am keen on to play off in the granny, um, I've bet accordingly. Um, particularly buoyed by the fact they're no longer experimenting with Dane Zorko across halfback, who was probably the most accountable halfback in the history of the sport. For those few weeks, they were hiding him back there while he was overcoming that injury. But he sort of moved into more of attacking role now, so more through the midfield on the weekend. And he's one of those blokes, and I hope he just doesn't listen to the podcast because I don't know him personally, but you would love him on your team and you would love to knock his head off if you're playing against him. <laughs> it's a unique thing in AFL nowadays, isn't it? Like Toby Green's probably in that yeah. In that um, you know, number of people. Zorko is such a good player, such a good user, and such an antagonist little prick as well if you were playing against him. I did find it interesting that there was no dead cat bounce with the with the Giants there in Leon Cameron's final game. What a, a great indicator that the players are happy that he's gone. And now they get Spike McVay. I think he's the caretaker for the rest of the season. So we'll wait and see if they actually do anything from here on in. It makes me feel well, better they, as a North Melbourne fan when you see we're on one win for the season and then you realise that Essendon's only on two. It's just, it's staggering. It's like a little bit of um, schadenfreude, but at the same time, it makes you feel, it warms the heart to see another team that you hate do horribly. And Essendon and GWS, both with two wins for the mm. season, one ahead of West Coast and North. That's... Uh... Yeah, it's, that's, it is great to see. Like, when you know, you don't hate the players or the fans personally, but it's just something that you grow up with as a fan, isn't it? Like, you just there's teams that you despise because of something that happened in your childhood that's affected your mental state for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> anyway... Um, Thank you for listening to my ramblings. I promise that I'll be better next week. I feel like I've just been like rambling on today. But it was one of those weekends across the across the wagering across this country. Yeah, it was a it was a, a rambling, never ending weekend of punting. It was 
fun if you were up at the end of the weekend, but I'm sure if you lost, you probably would have been in a very sad place. Indeed. Thankfully, Peter, thankfully, the administrators that run racing have given us another opportunity to bet today, tomorrow, and the day after, and every day for the rest of your life to get that enjoyment back. It's a never-ending race day, Curls. It's so good. Until later in the week, we'll preview the Goodwood at Morfordville. Bye for now. Bye for now.